When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. You're listening to the Co-Main Event Podcast. And now your hosts, Ben Folks and Chad Dundas. That's right. You're listening to another episode of the Co-Main Event Mixed Martial Arts Podcast. I'm Chad Dundas. That's Ben Folks. We're both longtime MMA journalists. And for nearly the last 10 years, we've been meeting here every week to break down all the action in the wild, weird, and occasionally wonderful world of mixed martial arts. Ben, we got a lot to talk about this week, as ever, with both the UFC and Bellator putting on events and the UFC schedule just keeps rolling on and on and on. So we've got another fight night event coming to us this Saturday night. We want to mix in some talk about all that stuff. First, though, before we really dive into this this week, I kind of wanted to discuss what appears to be Dustin Poirier's desperate scramble to book himself a fight over the weekend. And this has been going on for a while. Poirier seems to be out here just trying to find anybody who will fight him. Yeah. He tweeted... Three days ago, 170 pounds, July 30th, star. Then he tweeted, y'all a bunch of cats emoji, 155 or 170, anyone pull up, July 30th, international call out, get a deal done, and then uh, smoke smoke blowing emoji. I'm I'm always a little bit confused about what that emoji is, but the one where the the little emoji guy is just blowing smoke out of his nose. You know that one? Mm -hmm. Okay, he's angry. That's yeah. an angry emoji. Okay, that, that means angry. Then he yes. says, then he says, he tweets this uh, nine minutes after his last tweet. I'll smoke anyone July 30th. I think he means I'll smoke anyone, but it kind of works this way too. I'll yeah. smoke anyone mm-hmm. July 30th. Then four minutes after that, someone has replied to him with a thing that says, fight Colby. And Poirier quote tweets and he says, pull up. Then... Four minutes after that, he tweets at Colby Covington, July 30th, I accept. So Poirier is out here. I guess you got to give him credit. He's his own promoter. He's his own manager. He's his own fight booking agent. He's just out here find, trying to find somebody to fight this summer. Cool, Dusty yeah. P wants to fight somebody this summer, and he doesn't care who it is. He's just trying to get his name on the line that is dotted. Yeah, that's an international call out. Yeah. I appreciate him specifying that's not just domestic. That 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 crosses borders. 
That is a call out that has a passport and is going to get on a plane and show up in your area looking for a fight. I appreciate that. I respect it. I do. I cannot help but wonder, however, here we have one of the UFC's most popular fighters and Dustin Poirier, a guy who seemingly everybody loves and who is an exciting guy to watch. And here he is trying to get a fight across borders, an international call out across two different weight classes, even volunteering his services in two very talent rich divisions in the UFC. And it's this difficult for him to get something done because I would think that it would be in the UFC's best interest to get that man a fight if he wants to fight. People like to watch him fight. You, you can publicize a fight like that. You can promote it even if you get Dustin Poirier a fight. And if he's really willing to fight whoever, then it shouldn't be really that difficult to do. So why why does it take all this? Yeah, it's pretty interesting. Uh, obviously, uh, Wonderboy Thompson has said he would take the fight at 170 if Dustin Poirier wants to do it. I think the natural guy. Yeah. Guy, I respectfully decline that yeah, one. Yeah. The, uh, the thank the, you, but but no. The obvious guy out here is probably Michael Chandler at one fifty five. But Mikey Chandler does not seem too interested. It seems like he's got, if anything, like a little bit of a personal beef with Dustin Poirier. He was on the, the yeah. MMA Fortnite last week with uh, Ariel Helwani. He said, "Is Dustin a draw? I guess he's the number two guy, but he's Mike. just kind of stayed at number two. And I don't Mike. know how active he's going to be." But I did see that he tweeted that I was saying everybody else's name but his as if I didn't want to fight him because of technical reasons. But it was more that I f- forgot about him. I forgot about him, to be honest with you. Chad, I'm going to have to do this right now. Remove my glasses. He's taking off his glasses. Michael. Michael. What are we doing? Come on, man. Don't. Don't play like that, Michael. You know Dustin is a draw. You know, that'd be a good ass fun fight. You know, the winner of that one might even be in a position to do something big after that. But Michael, Mike. Yeah. If you called me up and told me uh, cool Dusty P and Iron Michael were going to fight each other July 30th, that I, I'd mark it on the calendar. That'd be must-see TV for me to see those two guys fight yeah. each other. And I don't know what uh, what Michael Chandler is talking about here. Well, and the... The specter of Colby Covington looming over all this. If Dustin Poirier has said in the past that he wouldn't fight Colby Covington in a cage, that he would much rather fight him in a parking lot somewhere, which, I mean, maybe his opinion on that has changed now that that's been done. Uh, that's been done and has proven to have led to some legal action. And so maybe that seems like a, a worse idea now. He was just on Ariel's show, the MMA Fortnite today, I believe, talking about how when he sort of on Twitter at least, publicly accepted this potential theoretical fight with Colby Covington that maybe he'd had a had a soda pop or two in him. Maybe he'd had a glass of whiskey and said, you know what, fuck it, I'll fight that guy. But it still maintains his position that he would rather not fight him solely because he does not want to be a part of anything that makes any money for Colby Covington, right. which I maintain is a rad move. It's a pretty sweet move to... I mean, I'm not saying that he's trying to avoid a fight with Colby Covington, but even if you were, it's a pretty dope move to be like, the reason I will not fight this person is because it might in some small way be good for him. And I don't want to, I don't want any joy or happiness or or money or anything to come into his life. I want nothing but bad things for him. Um, The other side of it, however, is it's like, 
if there is some sort of personal animosity between you and somebody else, getting paid to beat their ass in a cage does not seem like the worst possible thing that could happen. It kind of seems like that should be a perk of the job in some ways. And then there's also, though, a part of me that thinks like, okay, you know the kind of bullshit Colby Covington would do in a lead-up, would do and say in the lead-up to a fight with Dustin Poirier. I can script it all right now, and it sucks. And, I, I you know, we just would not want to listen to it, and yet it would be everywhere. And then in the end, what would have to happen is Dustin Poirier fighting up a weight class, essentially, against a guy with the kind of fighting style to, to take advantage of having a little extra weight on you yeah. when you get in the cage. And I'm just kind of wondering, like, is that the best use for Dustin Poirier and his popularity is to what, like, make him go up to welterweight, fight Colby Covington, who already has had a couple shots at the champion, come up short, and sort of universally reviled yeah. in MMA. Is that the best thing we could be doing with Dustin Poirier out of what seems like Everywhere else you look, nothing but good options. Yeah, and frankly, it seems like just what the doctor ordered for Colby Covington to get a chance <laughs> to uh, go out there and use your pressure striking and your wrestling takedowns against a guy in Dustin Poirier who you mentioned is very popular, has a little bit of a profile. He's a guy that you have some history with if you're Colby Covington. And, you know, maybe if you want to rehabilitate yourself a little bit at 170 there going out uh, and be able to wrestle a guy who's moving up from lightweight, a well-known guy moving up from lightweight, seems like it would be a good chance for Colby Covington. So I, like Dustin Poirier, uh, don't want anything good to happen for Colby Covington. So I support Dustin Glenn Poirier's uh, pronouncement that he will not fight Colby Covington in the cage. I hope that the clear-headed, pragmatic Dustin Poirier prevails here, not the Dustin Poirier who's had a couple few proper 12s. Uh, over well, there at his house. But then the thing that he's faced with now, or at least that he feels he's faced with, is do I accept this fight with Colby Covington so that I can hurry up and fight this summer since he's healthy and he's ready to fight and he wants to get in there and make some money? Or do I potentially sit around to the end of the year, which is the other thing that the UFC is talking about doing with him, which doesn't make any sense to me. You know, he last fought, uh, he fought Charles Oliveira in December and I have him sit out a full year when there are all these other potential fights that you could make for him. I mean, People been begging you to make a fight with him and Nate Diaz. You got this Michael Chandler option. You got a, a, a bunch of different options, and you're going to keep him out all year long. Yeah. That doesn't make any sense. I mean, it's already been almost six months, which is uh, longer than you would think. A 33, 33 year old guy like Dustin Poirier, who you know likes to stay busy, would want to sit out. And maybe that's why he's going on a tweet storm uh, on Friday night or whenever it was. I, I mean, the options seem too obvious to me, man. As you mentioned, either Nate Diaz or if you can't get a deal done with Diaz to come out here for his last contracted UFC fight, Michael Chandler, man, they both just lost uh, to Charles Oliveira. Chandler, of course, comes out, gets, puts the Tony Ferguson knockout on his resume, so you got that going for you. Dustin Poirier seems like the practical next step, frankly. Yeah. Um, breaking news here, Chad. Uh, before we started this, I tweeted, uh, I quote tweeted the video of Dustin Poirier explaining how this Colby Covington, his thoughts on it and everything. And I tweeted, honestly, turning down a fight with someone because you don't want to be a part of anything that makes him any money would actually be a pretty rad move. To which Dustin Poirier quote tweets me and replies, yeah. So I don't know if he's fucking with me uh, or is this an opportunity for us to to put our shoulder into this a little bit and get him get him away from that idea? 
Do I reply here? I'm going to give you a chance live, even though for other people it will be recorded, but it's happening live. Yeah. Chad Dundas, how do I reply to Dustin Poirier? Do I try to nudge him toward that Michael Chandler fight? What, what do we do here? I mean. Let's craft a tweet yeah. live on the air. <laughs> this is great. Great podcasting audio here. I mean, it's it's it, either Chandler or Diaz. Is the, is the practical – maybe we appeal to Dustin Poirier's practicality here. Okay. It's the practical and obvious next fight to book for a, a bankable draw like Dustin Poirier. Uh, he doesn't need to go up to welterweight and give Colby Covington what he wants. Let's deny no. Colby Covington what he wants. Let's give the fans what they want. Let's give, them, mm-hmm. let's give them Dustin Poirier versus Michael Chandler or Dustin Poirier versus Nate Diaz. Also, I hear Colby Covington is going to be busy in court proving that his Rolex is real uh, and perhaps undergoing some kind of uh, mental health evaluation to, pro- to prove that whether he has sustained a traumatic brain injury. Okay, that's, the, that's what we're going to do. Okay. We're going we're gonna to apply to Dustin and be like, you shouldn't fight Colby. I read in a, like a legal paper or whatever you want to call it. I read some kind of court document that suggested he recently suffered a brain injury. It would be kind of like not the humanitarian thing to do to fight him right now. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm going to let you compose the verbiage because it's your official Twitter account. So you go ahead and do that while I remind the people that they're listening to the co-main event podcast proper. Don't forget to go out and follow us on Instagram at CME if you nasty or like us over on the Facebook at facebook.com slash co-main event. This show, I can hear the typing. As I'm talking, yeah. I can hear the typing. I can hear the magic happening on the other end. This show drops every Monday afternoon for free in your timelines and podcast libraries. And if you think we're having fun right now, oh, brother, you absolutely need to check out what's going on over at patreon.com slash co-main event. Ben Folks and I are over there party rocking, uh, chopping it up, talking about MMA, live composing tweets on the air yep. with three additional podcasts every single week. You can check out our Wednesday live chat, hashtag wild on Wednesday. You can check out the Thursday uh, doing the damn thing podcast where we talk about all the stuff going on in the world not related to MMA. And then Friday, just for the hardcores, just for the heads, we got the Friday Power Hour, which is an additional hour of curated MMA talk. It features the dreaded but amazingly named co-main event podcast, Patreon Power Hour Power Rankings. Check it all out. Go ahead, join the team. We got a uh, patronage tier for every budget over there at patreon.com slash co-main event. Head over there and join the team. Check us out. We appreciate the support. We got music this week from old school CME fan Kyle Kelly Yoner. He also happens to be a drummer of tremendous skill. He's got a solo project out. It's an EP of instrumental tracks, mostly drums and synth. It's pretty cool. If you like what you hear from him on the show, you can find the rest of the EP at his website, kyleky.com, or follow him at kylekydrums on Instagram. Three rounds, as usual, this week in the co-main event podcast. In round number one, Yanni Blackjacks chopped down that tree Saturday night against Rocket Rakich. Now, he likely waits to see if the Yuri Prohaska era begins on June 11th. And in round number two, Logan Storley won the Bellator Interim Welterweight Championship on Friday after a fight with MVP that was so bad, even Scott Coker criticized the judging decision, which maybe might be the only time I can ever remember that happening. And in round number three, is this weekend's UFC fight night headlined by Holly Holm versus Ketlin Vieira, the epitome of the just uh, some fights era? 
Or is it low-key, kind of a surprisingly fun-looking card? Or both? All that, plus are you fucking kidding me and just saying stuff, but first, like we always do about this time, let's do a little bit of listener mail. Listener mail. Did you did you get the tweet sent? Did you send the tweet? Got the tweet. Okay, what does Got it say? Got the tweet sent. Okay, it says, I replied to at Dustin Poirier, hear me out. I seem to recall reading legal documents suggesting he had recently sustained a brain injury. Doesn't seem sporting to fight him now. You know, let's see that Chandler or Diaz fight instead. Okay. So, I'm not saying that I have handed Dustin Poirier a script that he could choose to follow in order to not only avoid being a part of anything that makes Colby Covington money, but also sort of stick the needle in a little bit on his way out of those negotiations. But should he choose to accept the help that the co-main event consulting services LLC is offering him pro bono this time, this one's free, but the next one's going to cost you, you know, that's up to him. That's a choice the Dusty P will have to make himself. Right. Well, keep us updated because, like we said during the opening part of the show, when Dustin Poirier is online, the tweets seem to come fast and furious. So mm-hmm. let us know if he hey. replies. Hey, I can go upstairs and get myself a glass of whiskey. We can do this. We can both be on the same equal footing, man. I got no problem with that. Yeah. Okay. Well, let me know if that's what you choose to do right now. I'm going to remind everybody that this week's listener mail is once again brought to you by Fulton and Rourke. Ben, it's basically summer out there. Everybody's about to be out the house. It's time to freshen up your whole smell game. Time to freshen up your whole scent palette. Time to get a whole new aroma toolbox in preparation for the warm weather. We've been talking about it all the time on the Co-Main Event Podcast. We love us some Fulton and work. We got all the products in each of our bathrooms. I'll be honest. I just went to the gym before we recorded this, took a quick shower, Fulton and Work body wash with the shampoo, mm-hmm. Fulton and Work face wash, jumped out the shower, Fulton and Work deodorant. Now here I am smelling great recording the Co-Main Event Podcast. And I can't help but notice, and other people will notice as well that they're watching the video version over on the CME Patreon, total lack of flyaways on your hair right now. Yeah. Just not a single flyaway to be seen. I mean, there, there might be the one up here just a little bit, but... Uh, but that's pretty good when you got hair like me, which kind of does its own thing at all times. So just another reason why you might want to join the Patreon, by the way. Get the video version of the Co-Main Event Podcast. Uh, tons of cool stuff going on over at Fulton & Work. If you want to check it out for yourself, CME listeners can save 15% on their first purchase with the coupon code IFYOUNASTY. That's all one word, if you nasty. over at FultonAndWork.com. First piece of listener mail this week comes to us from Matt Webb, who writes, Fellas... Thoughts on Ryan Spann? He put the guillotine on Iwan Kutalaba with the quickness and got the first round submission. Six foot five, great striker, ever improving jujitsu. I think we got something here. Uh, so this was a surprise to me. I had picked Kutalaba in this fight. Yeah. But uh, Ryan Spann goes out there, gets the win in this. This was the co-main event over there at the UFC uh, fight night event at the Apex over the weekend. And you know what? Ryan Spann, at 30 years old, with, with all the size in the world to compete there at 205 pounds, he's a little bit of a of a streaky fighter, you might say. Because his whole career, even going back to uh, the, the, the independent circuit, he got his start back in 2013. You look at it, he puts together a lot of wins in a row, and then he'll have these little, these little pockets where he, he loses a couple or he loses one. He kind of falters a little bit, including a submission loss to Robert Drysdale back in 2016. Remember that guy? Remember Robert Drysdale? I do, yes. Yep. Since he's been at the top level 
He lost on uh, Dana White's Contender Series, the first time he got a chance there. But then he went back to LFA, put together a three-fight win streak, won the vacant LFA Light Heavyweight Championship, then won his second try on the Dana White Contender Series. He's been in the UFC ever since, and he's been pretty darn good, to be quite frank with you. He's only got two losses. Johnny Walker KO'd him in the first round back in 2020, and Anthony Smith choked him out last year in September. Other than that, he's got he's got wins. He's got the Kutalaba win this weekend. He beat Mirsha Sir, Misha Sirkinov back in 2021, and uh, you know he's, he beat Lil Nog. He beat Devin Clark. He also beat Sam Alvey. So take that for what it's worth. But I don't know. What are your thoughts on Ryan Spann? He seems like he is kind of maturing into a into a nice mid level. I would say light heavyweight prospect at this point and just kind of needs to get the wins against uh, the name competition. Yeah. And needs to string some of them together for a longer period of time against this name competition. Cause right now he does seem to be on that lose one, win one, lose one, win one pattern. And that can only take you so far. But I also think that, you know, we've talked before about how sometimes in this sport, people get too caught up in, deciding, making a snap judgment about who a fighter is, what he's capable of early on in his career. And I, people definitely did it to Anthony Smith early on in his career. And, you know, look how he managed to put it together and have a pretty good run there. And I can see that maybe people have done that with Ryan Spahn, too, because you just you look at it and you go, OK, well, Johnny Walker knocked you out. Anthony Smith submitted you. That's it. That that shows that you're not going to break into the, the top tier at light heavyweight. I mean, it just shows maybe you weren't ready for it then. Maybe you get the right combination of things. And as we have seen, light heavyweight is more wide open now than it has been in years, than it has been in like a decade. So if you are going to put some shit together and get some shit to click for you at 30 years old at light heavyweight, now is the time. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, now is the time to put it in high gear if you got that in you. And I agree. Although I do think... You know, Ryan Spann is one to watch at this point. I just checked the odds. Uh, Kutalaba came into this fight at more than a 2-1 to one favorite. So this is a nice win for him uh, to choke out Kutalaba in, in such fashion. This, this is a, it's a, clearly the biggest win, I would say, of his UFC career. And so we'll see where he goes after this. But, it you know, you, you're right. It would be nice to see some consistency, see him put together a few wins in a row. And in this new look, light heavyweight division where it feels like everybody has new life. Heck yeah, man. We'll, we'll see what he can develop into. Yeah. Next question this week comes to us from Hazel Monson, who writes, Can we take a moment to pour one out for the Oda Machida? Is this fight the end of the road for him? How will he be remembered if he never has another fight? His loss was made even more jarring when starkly contrasted with the joyous nature of Paul Daly's victory. Uh, so Leota Machida, who, as everybody knows, is over there in Bellator. These days, he was at the uh, London card over the weekend. Things did not go great for our guy, the dragon. Fabian Edwards knocked him out in three minutes and 18 seconds. An elbow followed by punches. This Lyoto Machida's fourth loss in a row. But the first one, at least during this losing streak, to a guy who is not so much a named man in the sport, right? Not necessarily a known commodity, a known big-time swinger like a Gegard Mousasi, a Phil Davis, or a Ryan Bader, who are the three guys who defeated Lyoto Machida previous to this. Fabian Edwards, obviously, a good fighter in his own right, uh, but the first guy who seems to have designs on on making a, a name for himself 
off this knockout of Lyoto Machida. Lyoto Machida, Ben, at this point is 43 years old. Damn, almost as old as me. That says something. You're still out there competing as a professional mixed martial arts fighter when you are almost the same age as me. Well, that's impressive, first of all. But what do you say of Lyoto Machida, who now not for the first time in his career has fallen on an extended streak of adversity here? Yeah, I was tempted to adopt the position that this fight actually did not happen. Okay, I know that that is, uh, you know, in times of real strife and trouble, I know that that's a, uh, a path that you will take. Yeah, I was just, for a second, I was just going to be like, especially because I was not watching this one live. I saw people talk on Twitter like, oh man, Leota Machida just got knocked out. And I knew clips are incoming. Somebody's going to post a clip of him getting knocked out. What if I just didn't watch it? What if I didn't watch it? What if instead I went outside and I stared directly into the sun for about an hour? And then I came back in and I just said, fake news. Leoto Machida did not fight this weekend. You know, what then? They may, they can't make me watch Leoto Machida versus Fabian Edwards. Yeah. You can't. Well, one thing I know for sure is if you use the term fake news, that makes you sound like a person whose opinion must be taken seriously. You, yeah. you sound like a person deeply rooted in reality and who's not hashtag just saying stuff. Uh, because they would rather not have other people look too deeply into the situation. So mm-hmm. I think you've played it really smart. I'll just say this, though. The last time Leota Machida, we started to get a little worried about him, and he went on a bad losing streak. Remember, he got uh, submitted by Luke Rockhold, knocked out by UL Romero, knocked out by Derek Brunson, uh, and then finished his uh, stay in the UFC on on two wins. And that last one, that Vitor Belfort one, where he stands there with his hands on his hips thinking, well, I'm sorry I had to do that. Um, and then came to Bellator one, two, two straight, Javier Carvalho and, and Chael Sonnen, the one where Chael Sonnen said that he got out-toughed by Leota Machida and he did not expect that. Um, and then he fell on these hard times where, you know, Two split decisions, uh, losses to good guys, Gegard Mousasi and Phil Davis. Uh, unanimous decision loss to Ryan Bader, you know, over there, all, ha- keeping his hands on some kind of Bellator gold for years now, it seems. And then this bad one to Fabian Edwards. Maybe this is where he reels off another winning streak. Hmm? Maybe the thing is, he got to get, you got to change promotions again. Can we get Leota Machida in Eagle FC? What, okay. do you, what do you say? Well, here's what I was about to suggest. I don't know anything at the moment about the status of the Oda Machida's Bellator contract. But on the heels of this now four losses in a row over there in Bellator, I would think that the level-headed Scotty Cokes might be able to listen to reason here. Is it time that Leoto Machida makes good on his uh, potential to go over there to the Karate Combat Organization? Maybe stand in either as one of these brand ambassadors that they've got over there or, you know, maybe gets down in the pit in the pit himself and has some some karate fights with some guys. Yeah. I wouldn't I wouldn't mind seeing that a bit if karate combat can pay Lyoto Mashida the kind of money it takes, you know, for him to get out of bed in the morning to make it worthwhile for him to go over there and fight in karate combat. I would to tell you the truth, despite the fact it's like kind of a lower profile fighting organization, I would welcome that as a guy who has long admired Lyoto Machida. That might even that might be my top wish list booking for Lyoto Machida is go put the gi back on. Go yeah. over there, get back where get back with the with the guy who brung you to the dance and and have some some karate fights. Man, that would that would be awesome. I'll go a step further. 
I don't think they should be allowed to keep doing karate combat if Leota Machida isn't involved at some point. I think that the they should the regulators should come in and they should it's a guy with a clipboard yeah, and a hard hat for some reason. He's looking around for Leota Machida with his flashlight, with his yeah, pen light. He's he's coming in here and he's like, I just I everything, you know, the scaffolding seems up to code. Uh, the extension cords are taped down. That's good to see. Just one quick thing here. I don't see Leota Machida anywhere. And if they can't produce him, they should be shut down. They should turn out the lights at Karate Combat. Here's what we should do. Leota Machida goes over to Karate Combat, uh, fights someone out of the crowd. You know, you get like a, we'll have a sweepstakes to fight Leota Machida in Karate Combat. The same day, he goes over to some one of these submission grappling things, has a jujitsu match, has a submission grappling match. Okay. Same day. Yeah. Did I just revive Leoto Machida's career? Because I think that I did. Okay. Uh, that sounds like that's a another idea. freebie from CME Consulting Services LLC. We can't keep giving them away like this, though, Chad. It's not a sound business model. No. So at some point, we're going to have to start keeping all the money, like the yeah. UFC does. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's take this one from Jart Harley Barvis. Okay. Now becoming we, a regular. Yeah, we have been remiss in the past. I don't know. Have we pointed out that Jart Harley Barvis is the bad boy baby character uh, from Bart Harley Jarvis? Is okay. So this yes. is this is Jart Harley Barvis. It's a play on words. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. He writes uh, per- perusing through this weekend's UFC card and something outside of this card being absolute the pinnacle of the JSF era struck stuck out to me. Uh, resident Weirdsmobile, Michelle Pereira, uh, has apparently still been unable to make the leap home to early 2000s pride, and he's fighting Santiago Ponzinibbio on Saturday. I believe that's a quantum leap reference. Uh, with the exception of a DQ loss to Diego S- uh, Sanchez in a fight he was very handily winning, uh, Piera is unbeaten since 2019. He's coming in hot, riding a four-fight win streak over some hitters, and is 5-1-1 one, one over all in the UFC. So I ask... Is this thing really happening? Are we really on the verge of Michel Pereira, wonderfully crazy, his wonderfully crazy ass reaching contender status? Does a win over a recently middling Ponzi put him there? And most importantly, do we have any idea how good Kamar Usman's backflip and cartwheel defense is? Esteemed gentlemen, please discourse if you may. I mean, now that I think about it, we've seen Kamar Usman face a number of different challenges. In his time in the UFC. What if, though, what what if, Chad, he just has like a a Weirdsmobile-shaped hole in his armor? What if he sees a backflip or two? He sees a guy comes bopping down to the cage with a whole lot of enthusiasm and joie de vever, and he can't handle it. Yeah. We won't know until we put them in the cage together. Yeah, well, speaking of guys who... Uh who would be well-served to put together some wins over some named competition. Michel Pereira's four wins in his current four-fight winning streak are Zalim Amedyov, nailed it, nailed it, Chaos Williams, Nico Price, and Andre Fialo. So it would be a good thing for him to go out here and get a win against an opponent like Santiago Ponzinibbio, who is a good, aggressive, uh, popular 
to watch fighter that we all have heard of before. So if we if we are going to... I mean, have we heard of those other guys? Those other guys are not nobodies. Those guys got Wikipedia pages and shit. But, I mean, Santiago Ponzinibbio does seem to be a little bit a step above that. You're right. Yeah, you know what I'm saying here. No, no disrespect to Chaos Williams, who we all know and love. But, like, if we're going to boost Michelle Pereira up into contender status, he needs to beat some guys like this. He needs to beat a Santiago Ponzinibbio here. Uh, you know, and then we can uh, then we can talk maybe about what the next step for him climbing the ladder will be. The thing for a guy like that, though, is you you want to be smart, but you don't want to take all the fun out of it. You know, like I want him. I still want him to be doing some crazy shit. I just don't want him to be doing so much crazy shit that he either gasses out or gets himself disqualified. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Well, the it's last a, time it's a razor's edge, goddammit. The last time Piero won a fight of the night or performance of the night bonus, September of 2020. So he's got three decisions in a row here now. So maybe he is on a little bit more of a uh, less weirds mobile kind of track. You know what? I can I can only support that up to a point. I think you know that. Have you uh, have you bothered trying to tell him maybe you do you at any point? Okay. All right. You're saying that maybe. In some of these recent fights, he hasn't quite been doing him. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying. All right. He needs to get back to doing him. Wait, are we? That's teetering dangerously close to telling him, get back to the old Michel Pierre. Okay, well, within reason, right? (laughs) It's better to get to better to win than lose, but also you do you. Okay. God, making making this complicated out here. That is going to do it for listener mail this week. Thanks to everybody who sent in questions, comments, and concerns to the podcast. If you want to do it for future weeks, I'll tell you how. You go to the website, comainevent.com, and click the link in the top right-hand corner of the screen that says email the podcast. That'll get you in touch with us. As of right now, though, we are going to go ahead and get started with round number one. Ben, we actually had ourselves a nice little chess match here between Jan Blahovich and Alexander Rakich, at least as long as it lasted. Rakich came out round one, throwing the jab, bloodied up Yanni Blackjacks right there in his eye. Blahovich was trying to counter that, throwing the calf kicks. He also was, was routinely throwing this sort of jump in left to the body, right to the head combo. And so uh, they were really kind of trying to outmaneuver each other here in their various uh, striking game plans. Then, of course, in round number two, Rakic got the early takedown. Blahovich threatened him with a triangle, but Rakic controlled most of that round uh, with his grappling, despite the fact that that Blahovich struck pretty well uh, from the bottom and from various positions during their during their grappling exchanges. Then, of course, as everybody who watched the fight knows, a minute and eleven seconds into the third round, Rakic just kind of crumbles to the mat. Looks like he hurt his knee, uh, possibly blew it out. And so we get uh, Jan Blahovich via a uh, officially a TKO due to injury. So I guess I wanted to start off by asking, uh, you know, we have a tendency to kind of chalk these up to sort of freak occurrences sometimes in this sport. But how much credit do you give Jan Blahovich for the win here? Because uh, it was the right leg 
I believe, where the where the knee blew out, which was not the leg that was getting kicked a ton with the calf kicks by Jan Blahovic. On the other hand, I don't necessarily know that you can totally discount what Blahovic was doing because, you know, those leg kicks, they screw up the way you, you use your weight. They screw up how you can move. Maybe that had something to do with it. If Alexander Rakic is out walking his dog at this same time Saturday evening, instead of being in the cage fight Jan Blahovic, I doubt he blows his knee out. So how much credit do you give Blahovic here for the, uh, the injury TKO victory? Well, I saw... Uh friend of the podcast the big homie jack slack putting forth the the possible suggestion that maybe we're looking at a dim mox situation where we're gonna we're gonna injure the guy's knee by kicking the other leg and uh people won't won't appreciate the the real black magic that went into that i don't know if i can sit here with a straight face loving yanni blackjacks as much as i do even and tell you that he did this to alexander rakich and yet at the same time he was fighting a good fight. He he was he, he was looking pretty good in there. So I don't know. Like it seems in a way like kind of the worst case scenario for everybody because the UFC doesn't really get any closer to saying we have anointed a new contender who's rising up the ranks at light heavyweight because of the way it ends. Alexander Rakic loses the fight and injures his knee. Probably going to be out for a little while with that. Jan Blahovic gets a win. But people are going to look at it and be like, yeah, but like the other guy kind of slipped on a banana peel. And so it's not good for anybody, really. But I was honestly encouraged by w- most of what I saw from Jan Blahovich up to that point. Yeah. He looked like he was getting better. I mean, it's always interesting to hear what all fighters say on both sides of this after something like this because – I heard Alexander Rakic being like, mm, I've had this injury in training. I had dealt with this before, and then it just happened to me in the fight. And then I heard, saw Jan Blahovic being like, my body was stronger and was prepared to go five rounds, and his body, it, it, it crumpled under the pressure yeah. uh, of this fight and couldn't handle it. And you're like, well, I don't know. I don't know if that's necessarily what happened. Uh, but you did win. And it's not like you got saved or anything. It's not like you were getting throttled and you got lucky that the guy blew out a tire. You were looking good. He was looking like he was doing some good stuff. So I would think that there's there's encouraging things to take away from that if you're Jan Blachowicz. Yeah, I thought he won the first round for sure. And then the second round, uh, Rakic controlled most of it with his grappling. So they were probably 1-1 there in the third round and we only got a minute and 11 seconds into it. But you're right, Blahovich was doing pretty good, especially considering the fact that he came in as a plus 160 underdog. So he he was affording himself rather nicely against Alexander Rakic. I give him some credit for being out there in the cage with the guy when the guy blows his knee out. Like I, like I said, like it might not have happened if, if the guy was bowling or walking his dog or at home watching the TV. Instead, he was in the cage fighting Yanni Blackjacks and his knee blow out. So, uh, uh, I'll give Blahovich some credit for that. I don't think that it's a I don't think it's a push. I'd rather be Jan Blahovich after this fight than I would Alexander Rakic. Yeah. And and we'll see where everybody's fortunes lead. I don't think, you know, depending on the severity of the injury, it's it's also not a world ender here for Alexander Rakic, who uh still looks like he has a lot of potential as a, a light heavyweight prospect here. And he he also was doing okay against Blahovich and, and looks the part with his size and his strength and everything else. So not jerking the carpet out from under Rakich by any means. I think that he can still do stuff in the 205-pound division and be a guy that we have to reckon with. Uh, but for, for Blahovich now, you know, he gets this win at least uh, 
on paper, officially the victor here. He's not injured. He's the guy I think you would rather be. And now we sit around and we wait to see what happens at UFC 275, Glover Tashira defending the title against Yuri Prohaska. I looked earlier in the day to see uh, what the what the the odds were on this fight. And DraftKings currently has Prohaska going off as more than a two to one favorite, minus mm. two twenty at UFC 275 against the champion Glover Tashira. And I think like you don't have to be a, a master strategist to see. That if Prohaska, if that thing played out according to Chalk and Prohaska walked out of the cage with the title, that might be good for Jan Blahovich, who had previously lost his own championship to Glover Tashira. So if you have a new champion, maybe Jan Blahovich is your number one contender. I don't know. If if Glover Tashira does what he has done seemingly so many times before and surprises us and comes out in this thing and and you know works his Glover Tashira magic and and goes against the odds and gets the victory here, then I don't know. You might have a little bit longer road back to a title fight if you are Jan Blahovich. And how long a road could he afford at his right. age? Yeah. I mean, again, though, he was looking pretty good. Like, he still, it's not like he came out here and showed you that there was a whole bunch of new twists and turns in the Jan Blahovich game. I'd tell you at this point, we kind of know what he's got. But it's also. It's. I think it's tougher than people think to deal with it because I think like Alexander Rakic or somebody probably felt like he had some of Jan Blahovich's preferred combinations scouted, but he finds a way to land them and he's tricky with them too. He goes out there and he'll get you thinking, okay, it's just left hook and right straight, and then Katie bar the door. That's all. That's all that he's gonna get throw at you, and then he he'll keep adding on stuff afterwards to where you can see people sometimes end up getting caught with it because they're like, "Damn it, I thought you were done. I thought, <laughs> I thought you were just gonna do your two strikes and then uh, retreat back into a defensive posture." But no, he keeps getting you done. And I mean, he is he was kicking that other leg, so you know I don't know. You could take credit for the the knee injury in that sense, but he was kicking it enough that Alexander Rakic in that third was starting to change his his stance a little bit and change, or at least change uh, how he was physically reacting whenever Jan Blahovich looked like he was going to do anything because he was trying to get that leg out of the way. Maybe that helps uh, blow out your knee that you know you might already be having trouble with. So I don't know. Uh, I, I do think that he deserves a little bit of, of credit for it, but also you're right. How do you, you, everybody's going to be waiting to see what happens at a light heavyweight picture here in, 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 next month. And then we're going to decide like, okay, depending on who still has the belt, who has a, the, the strap around and when the dust clears, depending on basically when we think it fits on the calendar to have another light heavyweight title fight, then we kind of look around at who's available. So it's not like anything's really screaming at you right now. Right. Yeah, Rankic was, was switching stances in the first round, even from getting kicked by uh, Blahovich, even though it was clear he didn't want to didn't want to try to fight that way, so he was switching back. But uh, yeah, it was you know, it crossed my mind: is this the one time that the UFC broadcast team's obsession with leg kicks actually turned out to be well founded? Like that 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 you know, yes, we had a we had a good uh, good outcome here. Like I said, I'd rather be Blahovich than Rakic. So there you go. Uh, and we will all be watching UFC 275 to see the future of the, this division and the future of that title. Uh, I would not turn my nose up at Jan Blahovich versus Yuri Prohaska if that is a thing that has to happen. Yeah. All right, let's do Are You Fucking Kidding Me, Ben? And then we'll get into round number two. Uh, I, I think we probably have the same Are You Fucking Kidding Me? Yeah. This week. Yeah, some, sometimes uh, they make it just a little too easy for us. Would be you know? surprised, I guess, if there was a, 
if there was another are you fucking kidding me that had turned either of our heads this past week because heavy sigh uh andrea lee's corner man tony kelly he got himself on a live mic in between rounds on national streaming television saturday night uh saying to lee and i quote that's what they're gonna do they're dirty fucking brazilians they're going to cheat this uh during Angela Lee's uh, fight against Verna Gerandoba out there on the prelims of this fight night card. You fucking kidding me? I mean, this is just the first stage. This is just the initial, are you fucking kidding me? It's part one. Uh, Because this story, and it's been a long time, I feel like, since I've been able to see it, say this, but it has the classic MMA follow-up statement in it where you do something bad and everybody... Mm -hmm rightly points that out to you and then you release a follow-up statement that is even worse like you just make it so much worse for yourself and that's what uh that's what tony kelly did here with his his statement about how cancel culture is real yeah and uh here's here's what he wrote he he wrote cancel culture is real what i said was real and in the heat of battle and in no way had any type of racist connotations meant yeah i don't know why how would anybody take any racist connotations from the phrase like dirty brazilians but if that's the way you take it idgaf i don't give a fuck that's Mm -hmm. what that means there chad so many people quick to say racist that shit is getting so old so okay, <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna pause right there. Uh, Tony Tony Kelly just feels like we we've gone overboard as a culture in identifying racism, and who better to diagnose our culture that as such than than Tony Kelly? Um, my reference was to a dirty eye poke. So I guess what I would like to know about the the cancel culture that he is decrying here right off the bat is. Can you name me one consequence he has faced as a result of this other than MMA fans on the internet being like, that was fucked up, bro? <laughs> I mean, this is, because, the classic, this is the classic case that happens so often with these guys who like to, to call out cancel culture that they don't seem to understand the extent of the social contract in and around the First <laughs> Amendment. <laughs> Right. We're like, yeah, man, Tony Kelly, the First Amendment gives you the right to show up on national streaming television in between rounds and say some fucked up racist shit. You can do that. But the other part of the social contract in and around the First Amendment is that you take the responsibility and criticism that comes along with saying some fucked up racist shit on TV, man. That's not cancel culture. That's just the second part of the First Amendment. You don't just get to do the first part. It's and people not saying the second stuff. Part. You see how that works? About the stuff you say. I'm dying for a situation in which you sit down with Tony Kelly and you have a conversation that begins. I want us to talk about the social contract here for a moment. And he would say, I just want, I just, I just want to be a fly on the wall. I D A G F, he would probably say to any mention of the social contract. Anyway, multiple, multiple well deserved. Are you fucking kidding me? In that statement alone. Yeah. Not even the, the initial thing, which we gave its own. Are you fucking kidding me? This, the follow up statement, which again, so, so typical of MMA to release a follow up statement that is like, oh, remember that fucked up shit I said? Actually, it's so much worse. 
Just going to come out here and talk about the social contract. Tony, are you familiar with the work of Jean-Jacques Rousseau? So he might he might be well served to be at this point. <laughs> also, we got to say shout out to the big homie Luke Thomas uh, for his own amazing <laughs> rant on this uh, situation that you got to wholeheartedly agree with, I think. Yeah. You fucking kidding me? Fucking kidding me? That's going to do it for round number one. We'll be right back with round number two. Chad, I was watching this fight between Logan Storley and Michael Venom Page from Bellator over the weekend, and I felt like somewhere in between round three and four, I fell into uh, a fever dream. It's kind of like, you know, in Alice in Wonderland where she's very bored by listening to like her, her tutor try to teach her about this book or whatever. And she sees the white rabbit. And then you're not sure whether any of this really happens. And the next thing you know, uh, you're smoking opium with a caterpillar or some shit. Uh, it was like that. Mm-hmm. It was yeah. like that. And it seemed to go on uh, for, I'm going to say, like me detaching from my physical body and hovering above myself for what felt like six to eight hours uh went through a whole kaleidoscope of human emotions came hurtling back into my physical self and somehow we were still only midway through round five that's that's about how bad this fight was then we go oh shit we gotta decide somebody won it and what do they do? They decide Logan Storley won this one by a split decision, 48-47, uh, and then a 47-48 the other direction, and then a 49-46 for him that Logan Storley wins this interim Bellator welterweight title fight while, you know, meanwhile, the actual champion fighting for his goddamn life in his country over there in Ukraine. Yeah. So weird. This is a weird situation. And to come out of it, as Logan Storley is now your champion, your interim champion, after that, even mild-mannered Scott Coker. Yeah, so issued bad. You got what you gotta, for him counts as a blistering yeah, criticism. Scorcher. A scorcher from Scotty <laughs> Coates. Uh, that's how bad it was, is that it, it prompted Scott Coker to first admit that he had seen the fight. Yeah. As it happened. And, and – launch into a criticism of the judges, which I, it might be the first time I can ever remember him doing that. He might have done it at some point in the past, but normally he's he, he, he shies away from that kind of thing. Interesting that you mocked me earlier for bringing up the social contract and then went on a long Alice in Wonderland infuse introduction to this yeah. fight between MVP and Logan Storley. We're one I mean, step away oh, from you starting to sing some cream songs yeah. over here on also, the podcast. I, I, I had dropped acid before the fight In started, the so I was. Room with <laughs> Man, you gotta get this shit pulled from Apple Podcasts for a copyright violation. <laughs> yeah, they'll definitely hear that and think it sounds like the real thing. 
these guys use a cream recording on this thing? It sounds so much like cream. Uh, have we swung back too far in our efforts to uh, reward damage? Have we, like, have we swung back too far against wrestling at this point? Because I can understand how you would think... I'm going to pull a Rose Nama Yunus here. I can understand how you would think maybe Logan Storley didn't win this fight. But I don't really understand how you could say Michael Page did. Yeah, I mean, I think the best thing you could say, or like the most credit you could give Logan Storley, is that he kept Michael Page from giving a chance to win it. But Scott Coker's actual comment was, I don't think you ought to be able to just lay on somebody. And Honestly, there wasn't even a whole lot of successfully laying on somebody. No, and that might be the problem here, honestly, with with the, with the Storley. Not necessarily the game plan, but how things played out for him. I thought Logan Storley pretty clearly won the first round. I thought MVP pretty clearly won the fourth round. The other rounds, MVP actually did some seemingly impactful striking in between the takedown attempts from Logan Storley. But... And I'm a big grappling proponent. Everybody who listens to this podcast knows that already. Uh, but the, I felt like the like the let's say it's a little bit different, I guess, when a person is demonstrating total control using their grappling. Right? When you put a person on their back and you work from there, that's sort of like the classic GSP fight. And if you win a decision that way, I honestly don't really have a problem with it. But the problem that I had with this fight is that Storley many times couldn't get MVP all the way to the mat. No. So you end up in these kind of weird halfway stalemate positions where Logan Storley is like hunting for a takedown, but he can't get it. So really what he's doing is essentially holding MVP against the fence, and MVP can't get off the fence, and he also can't move that much because he wants to prevent the takedown, and there are times when Logan Storley halfway climbs onto his back, but he can't really get there. So it wasn't like he was really dominating the fight using his wrestling. He was kind of forcing these stalemate positions, which again, different from clinch fighting, where he was like he was trying to complete this takedown, but he couldn't do it. And that's the point where I think you're getting, for me at least, you get into this situation where I'm like, should these rounds be draws? Which seems like a uh, a disaster if you're scoring these rounds as draws. But again, like I honestly don't know what else you do with them because Logan Storley can't quite get the thing that he wants to do. And MVP isn't really doing the thing that he wants to do. So frankly, I, I'm a little bit flummoxed here, what we're supposed to do with a fight like this. And kind of my 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 umbrella thought, like in total, I kind of feel like I am reminded again that this can be a hard damn sport to judge and that it can be a sport that is diverse enough in the action that it's hard to write a set of judging criteria that I feel like works as a blanket for every fight, which is, is weird. It's a weird sport to, to try to uh, get your arms around in that way. What I hear you tiptoeing up to the line of suggesting is that we should have had somebody come out. The judges, you know, a situation where they pass a slip of paper to the ring announcer. He opens it up, looks at it, looks up at them and be like, you, you sure you want me to read this? And they just, they nod solemnly and he opens it up and he reads out, ladies and gentlemen, the judges have determined that nobody has won this fight. We have all lost. And frankly, they are disappointed in both men. Uh, thank you. 
and good night. I hope all the VIP, VIPs have already been escorted to the panic room if that happens, because I don't think the fans in London would have been too happy with it. But they also weren't happy with the Logan Storley victory. So please make your way out of the arena in an orderly fashion. I mean, my, I guess my real, my actual question is. In these kind of weird situations where Storley gets halfway in on a takedown and they're not in a clinch. He's like, he's bent over, he's diving for a double, but he can't get it. And Michael Page can't get him off. Should there be more onus on the referee to break up that position? Because there was rounds, singular rounds in this fight where they were essentially in that position for like three minutes. Yeah. Yeah. And we did not see the referee. Uh, And maybe because he felt like because what both the guys want to do here is so clear what he felt like he was putting his thumb on the scale in favor of Michael Venom Page, who already seems like the guy Bellator would want to have win because they they sort of tried at times throughout his career to set him up for some success. And every time the round starts on the feet, he looks like he's doing well for 60 to 90 seconds. You know, he's, he's popping out there from distance, lunging in, throwing a, a jab or an elbow or trying to jump a knee and looking, you know, dynamic and dangerous until Logan Storley sees the opening to grab onto a leg, push him up against the cage again. And maybe the referee was like, if I separate them, am I basically just giving Michael Venom Page his position back? Right. But then if it's just a stalemate up against the fence, maybe that's the thing to do anyway. Yeah. Uh, and Michael Page is out there. Like, he's throwing flying knees and shit in this fight. And, and like, we're three rounds into this thing, and he's throwing flying knees. And I was like, really? Like, you, do you think that that's a good strategy here against this guy? You think throwing the flying knee where you're basically leaping into his arms? Uh, I don't know. Just didn't seem like the, the, the best game plan. Michael Page, to his credit, I think, has come out after this fight and said he needs to get better and not being held in place, not being held down. But like, yeah, man, I, I feel, and, and and I'm not totally on board with uh, the relatively new idea in mixed martial arts that you can't just win a fight with wrestling. I kind of feel like if that's all there is, and the other guy just can't stop you from doing it, you deserve to win the fight. And and I understand people's obsession with dominance and and obsession with with damage in this sport, and I halfway agree with it. But if a guy is good enough to wrestle his way to victory and there's nobody in the world who can stop him from doing it, I also appreciate that. And I'm okay with those decisions. I just didn't really think that's what this was because Logan Storm couldn't get there. He got halfway. And that creates a weird situation. And I think in those specific situations, maybe the referee should step in and, and call a restart. Yeah. Anyway, you have now an interim champ under the weirdest circumstances we've ever seen in MMA, and he has kind of the opposite of the mandate of the people to go forth as interim welterweight champion for Bellator. So good luck. Yeah, so if you're Bellator, I don't know what you do at this point, aside from from waiting for uh, Yaroslav Ambasov to come back. Yeah. Can you just claim that the welterweight division was lost in the mail? Just buy yourself some time. Just pretend like it never had a welterweight division. And just be like, yeah, I don't welterweight division. You know what? We're thinking about starting one of those. We'll see. We'll we'll have an answer for you in a week, ten days. All right. Uh, All right. That's gonna do for round number two. We'll be right back with round number three.
Well, Ben, it's been a minute since we saw Holly Holm, a.k.a. Holly Holmes, out there in the octagon, her last appearance in the UFC, her decision victory over Irene Aldana back in October of 2020. She has put together two wins in a row now since returning to bantamweight and losing to Amanda Nunes back at UFC 239. She heads into the cage against uh, Ketlin Vieira this weekend at the UFC, and Vieira is out here trying to get her own little Legends ass-whooping tour started because she comes into this fight on the heels of her victory over Misha Tate uh, back in November of last year. Uh, I believe the victory that that convinced Misha Tate maybe she was going to think about another weight class. And so we've got this, uh, I guess, important bantamweight, bantamweight contender fight as your main event of the UFC Fight Night event on Saturday night going down at the Apex down there in Las Vegas, Nevada. Uh, it could turn out to be an entertaining fight, I suppose. Although, as I said during the introduction, this is one of those cards where you look at it and you say, are we doing just some fights here? Is this just some fights? Is this the is this the apex, no pun intended, of the just some fights era? And as we'll talk about in a minute, I think there are some potentially hidden gems on this card. Uh, but just in terms of the main event, I can't imagine your or anyone else's hype level is all that high, despite the fact Holly Holm, a.k.a. Holly Holmes, is a relatively popular draw in this sport. Yeah. One of the problems with Holly Holm fights sometimes. Yes. I think we we got it. I think we got it now. If, If somebody really comes after Holly Holm and tries to get her into a a gritty dog fight, then that can be an interesting fight because she is really well-equipped to piece that person the fuck up. If somebody kind of stays on the outside of the range and tries to force Holly Holm to be the one to lead the dance and come get her, then you could be looking at five rounds of a lot of stuff almost landing. And... Holly Holm usually wins those kind of fights, but they're not exactly thrilling to watch. And, I mean, that that sounds more critical than I want to be of Holly Holm, who has really made herself into a really complete MMA fighter. And yet, she also can be kind of frustrating in the same way that, uh, that Tyron Woodley in his championship reign could be kind of frustrating where you go... You look like you have so many of the physical tools that when you choose to use them, when you really, like, if, if you give me the controls to this, uh, what's available here, I feel like you could be more aggressive and you could really go in there and do some stuff and, and you have a lot more capability than what you're using. And that just makes it more frustrating to watch because it seems like you were, or, like, are you saving it for something? Do you, do you have another fight later tonight that that you're thinking about like why aren't we just going in there and getting some of these people out of there and i mean maybe some of it is just smart that she feels like i can win these fights this way i don't need to take uh too much undue risk because holly holm is honestly like a a good technical striker but who also can wrestle some uh and is just a good all-around athlete and yet it's not like when you sit there and you try to think of some of your favorite holly holm fights they, most of them haven't really come in the last few years. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, it feels like at times she is a victim of our expectations for her, but I agree with you that she is a, a at times frustrating person to watch. She is going off in this fight as more than the 2-1 to one favorite. She is minus 
240, according to DraftKings. Ketlin Vieira plus 195. And so that does make you wonder what kind of Holly Holm fight we're going to get into here on Saturday night. Uh, and she is also another one of these people, a long list of people at this point, who is talking about the potential desire to go do some more boxing. Because uh, she's a very uh, acclaimed successful accomplished boxer uh in about the to be boxing. inducted into the the boxing hall of fame this year yeah was this on uh, twitter that you posted your picture from your visit to the boxing hall of fame where they had a yeah. picture of holly holmes looking like she was about 12 years old yeah, uh, yes in a in a boxing fight so uh she's talking about now that you got some some like bona fide actual seemingly bankable stars in the women's boxing division holly Holmes has been talking about going over there and trying to trying to have a boxing match so you kind of wonder exactly what the future of her UFC tenure is, especially as a person who at times has been on the outs with the UFC because of her uh, contract negotiations and her, her willingness to, to get what she wants and what she thinks she's, she's worth. So this will be kind of an interesting thing to watch this weekend from that, from that perspective. Yeah. Uh, I mean, when I look at the way these, UFC fight night cards stack up and we've talked about them as in the J- JSF era that it seems like we are trying to load up some of the pay-per-views and it's leading leaving some of these fight night cards a little thin but the, hey maybe that's just how it's supposed to be when one of those is premium content and the other is the shit that we just have on every weekend and especially with as as a viewer and, you know, a middle-aged dad viewer in my situation, I look at a fight card like this one, especially when the main event is Holly Holm versus Ketlin Vieira, and I go, what time is that going to be on? What time the main event? What do you? What time do you think that part is going to start up? Because, brother, if it's too far after 9 p.m. in the one true time zone, I'll catch you Sunday. Yeah, I'll circle back. Well, first of all, I'll I'll go to like fighting tomatoes or whatever it is and be like, is it worth me circling back and and watching this one? You know, you're looking at stuff that jumps out of you. And there's a couple interesting fights here. You know, Santiago Ponzinibbio versus Michelle Pereira is one of them. Uh, but the some of these fight night cards have been the kind where there's a whole bunch of prelim guys who you never heard of and it feels pretty low stakes. And you're like, okay, maybe somebody will get a good knockout or a weird submission and I'll, I'll hear about that. I'll, I'll sort of watch it. But maybe the main event will pop off right around nine o'clock when I get I've got my kids in bed and I'm, I've got one fight in me before I hit the hay. Uh, but some of these have been known to stretch out pretty late and especially you think about people in other time zones on the East coast and God forbid on the other side of the Atlantic where they're already their their attentions have been abused low these many years. Uh, if you're asking somebody to stay up super late to wait for the absolute fireworks that you, you're hoping for from Holy home versus Ketlin Vieira brother, you've said it before, Chad, the UFC does not deserve those people. They yeah. exist, but I don't, I think that they are being taken for granted with some of these. Yeah, especially like as we talked about, Holly Holm can be a bit of a frustrating person to watch. Ketlin Vieira comes into this fight on the heels of three straight decisions. Uh, I might consider taking the over on this fight. I see that it's four and a half rounds, so the people over at DraftKings are anticipating this one basically goes the distance. But uh, it's liable to be a long fight, and when you get when once you've in some of these cards that stretch out, once you've you've already got yourself late at night and you're staring down the barrel of a of a likely five round main event where there's going to be a lot of circling, uh, sometimes not the most enticing thing. 
Uh, as we talked about earlier, though, I think like the co-main is one that you might want to you might want to be watching social media to find out when Ponzinibbio and Piero are going to be making the walk because you might want to check that one out. Uh, anything else on this card like uh, on your radar? Does Chase Hooper still have any? Uh, you still under a Chase Hooper spell at all? I mean, I, I want to see good things happen for Chase Hooper. Yeah, we all do. In and out of the cage. Seems like a good kid. Good yeah. kid, Chase Hooper. Does seem like a uh, solid kid. I tell you what, they could they could increase my chances of tuning in live to catch Michel Pierre versus Santiago Ponzinibbio if they would promise to broadcast Michel Pierre's walkout. Mm-hmm. You know, you could do you could do yourself a solid there. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. Your boy Eric Anders. You know, um, you know, you know. I always am, I'm interested in my boy Eric, your boy Anders. So, yeah. Um, probably some of these others. A, probably going to get a banger out of Chidi and Jakowani and and uh, Dusko Todorovic. Probably nailed yeah. it. But those okay. are those are aggressive guys that that like to strike. Uh, Vince Morales and Jonathan Martinez could be a bit of a banger down there at bantamweight. Those are also. Uh, you know, fellas that that like to do the damn thing. So there could be some fun fights on here. Uh, in general, though, I guess it depends on what you're going on. Got going on on Saturday. Yeah. If you're sitting uh, around, you're at home. You got a hankering to watch it. You got nothing else to do. There you go. Um, wasn't Ben Rothwell and uh, Gustafson supposed to be at this one? That could well be. That hurts. That hurts a little bit to yeah. think about that. We could have had that one. You know, uh, before we before we get out of here for this week, though, we would be remiss if we didn't uh, read off this potential UFC Fight Night card that could be Junior Dos Santos versus Jorgen De Castro, Hector Lombard versus Tiago Santos, Maki Patolo versus Doug Usher, uh, Ahmed Alia versus Daryl Horcher, uh, Ronnie Arhani Marks versus Reggie Pena, Alexander Almeida versus Roosevelt Roberts. Uh, Sean Soriano versus Paulo Silva, etc., etc. If I told you that was the UFC Fight Night card this weekend, you would probably believe me. You'd, yes. you'd probably be like, yeah, that's, that sounds like a UFC Fight Night card. That's a card for Eagle FC this weekend. That ain't bad, man. That honestly ain't bad. Yeah, how, so that, how are they doing that? Well, they, you know, they, they said they were going to uh, provide a platform for these fighters to come out here and jump on. That's and you know they still got the free stream over there at the Flexcast. Is this a and Friday night awesome. event? Um, it's Friday at the Flexcast Arena in Miami, six p.m. Eastern time start on Friday. So if you if you're a shit eating wild man or you got nothing else to do, that that ain't a bad Eagle FC card to be quite honest that, with you. Yeah, that really ain't. All right, yep. let's do just saying stuff, and then we'll get out of here this week. Ben, what's your just saying stuff? Well, Chad, uh, I don't know if we've even mentioned it so far, but Paul Daly fought in what we are led to believe is the final fight of his MMA career and in, you know, a great way to ride off into the sunset, gets a a late stoppage there, just unleashing those Paul Daly bungalows, gets like a face plant KO, Uh, crowd goes wild, and we're saying, there it is, Paul Daly's final fight. And it's just a classic kind of Paul Daly knockout finish. Uh, isn't that a great way to send him off? I guess I'm just saying if that's the last Paul Daly fight for real ever, I'll kiss you on the mouth, Chad Dundas. <laughs> I'll oh, come gotta, right over to your house. We're going to have to I'll, wait so long to find I'll, out. 
I'll grab you by the, the, the ears and I will plant a big, wet, sloppy kiss right on your face. Okay. Uh, I'm just I, saying, I think there's a good chance Paul Daly is not done with professional fighting. Just saying. Uh, first of all, I'm good. It's, it was not an offer. It was a promise. <laughs> okay. I mean, if you, you feel like you got to do it, that's I understand. It's 25 years from now. The doorbell rings. You know, you got to put in your hearing aid just to to know it's even happening. You open the door and I'm standing there and I kiss you. That's when you'll know. Oh, I guess Paul Daly never really did fight again. How about that? Yeah. But I'm telling you right now, I don't think you've got to worry about it. Okay. We'll just, we have to wait till Paul Daly hopefully dies peacefully in his sleep at the age of 95. (laughs) Just saying. Just saying. Uh, Ben, this week, I'm just saying, we narrowly avoided a crisis this past few days. We just barely missed a national nightmare with reports out that Gregor Gillespie had been removed from the UFC roster. Luckily for us, the gift himself, going to jump on his Instagram. First of all, he's going to post a big thing that just says fake news alert at the top of it. So like I said before... If you want to look like an individual whose opinion needs to be taken seriously, who's grounded in reality, always use the term fake news because that makes you look like you're on top of things. He says, guys, I'm still in the UFC. Relax. I will explain. I've been removed from the rankings, not the organization. Fighters are removed from rankings when they are inactive for a period uh, of time, which I'm gathering is 12 months, says Gregor Gillespie. So he's not totally sure. Uh, it goes on here about he's he's happy with the UFC, happy with the pay, uh, happy with how things are going, but he's waiting for the right matchup. He's, he says he's he, he accepted uh, Rafael Dos Anjos. He wants to fight Michael Chandler. He wants to fight Tony Ferguson. Uh, he'd like to fight Benil Dariush. He says any of those guys, they don't seem that interested. And he says he has turned down a bunch of fights against people who are ranked lower than him because he is trying to uh, to climb the ladder. So uh, Gregor Gillespie is still in the UFC. At least he thinks he is. To all of which, I guess I am just saying, whew, oh man, <laughs> best fisherman in MMA. Glad he is still around the UFC ranks. Don't know what we would have done. Ben, don't know how we would have got up tomorrow morning and gone about our day knowing Gregor Gillespie was out here on the streets looking for work. You're just saying bullet dodged. Bullet dodged, yes. This was a big one. Glad we got this yeah. sorted. Or at least we think we have. We think. We're gathering that we have. Hopefully Gregor Gillespie doesn't find out he's just the last to know, which happens. <laughs> More than you that might does, think. It does as, happen on occasion. As for right now, Gregor Gillespie still in the UFC, he thinks. So that's going to do it for this week's co-main event podcast. Check us out over on Patreon all week. We'll be over there uh, on Wednesday with the live chat. Thursday's doing the damn thing. Friday power hour. We got You can get in for a dollar. You can get in the Patreon for a dollar a month if that's what you want, uh, head over there, patreon.com slash co-main event. Check out our handy tiers of patronage if you want to hear more from the co-main event podcast. As for right now, though, we are done. We are through. We are out. Did we hear anything back from Dustin Poirier as we recorded this podcast? Uh, I'm not seeing any, any response from Dustin Poirier. I assume he is mulling over my suggestion. He's probably considering his, his, his advisors for 
That's probably what he's doing. He probably took him to a meeting of the uh, Poirier Foundation, and he's, he's showing it to his advisors, talking it over his family. He's considering the merits of the case I laid out. I will say this. It's been an hour, and that is the last thing Dustin Poirier has tweeted is his tweet to me. So yeah. it's not like he has moved on to other business on Twitter. It would be nice if he posted, like, a thinking emoji. Mm-hmm. You know? Like, mm-hmm. Then we would know. Maybe even maybe even a mind blown emoji. Yeah. Like that that would also be fair because he yeah. would be like, Your your idea is so brilliant that it has blown the top of my head clean off. Yeah, he probably uh, just had to put his phone down just to just to think for a while. Yeah. Some or you know, just walk around and, and think about how somebody has just opened the doors of your perception. 